Perdana Menteri Australia Malcolm Turnbull yang datang pertama kalinya ke Indonesia. You Ronda, terima kasih. No no no, you stay, you stay. There's a lot more to Australian-Indonesian relations than visits from prime ministers and Katut and Ronda. Geographically, the countries are close, and with an emerging middle class in Indonesia, there's more demand for services like health and education, but also agricultural products and food from Australia. However, it may not be easy for Australian businesses to capitalise on Indonesia's needs. With me on Business Briefing to discuss is... Matthew Bush. I'm a PhD candidate at Melbourne Law School. I'm researching uh, the political economy in Indonesia with a special focus on commercial uh, and investment-related issues. Australia's ambassador to Indonesia, Paul Grigson, has been spruiking the opportunities for Australian businesses to be involved in Indonesia's development. But Matt says it's not that clear-cut. There are also, I would say, gaps in the market don't necessarily, they, they exist for a reason. And so often the, there are reasons why sort of, even if there's a gap in the market, it, it might not be like a tremendous opportunity because of, of, of some of the factors that sort of led to this state of affairs. So I'll give infrastructure as an example. You know, historically, there's a very sort of strong, uh, I would say, distrust <laughs> of a user pays approach to infrastructure development in Indonesia. Infrastructure is seen basically as something that should be available for everyone at very, very low or zero cost, essentially. And so this leads to overconsumption uh, of infrastructure, which is part of the reason there are infrastructure deficits. But it also leads to uh, subsidies as a way of um, sort of squaring the, uh, the ledger a bit. So because of sort of subsidies, you have very like high rent seeking in the infrastructure sector. You have very like large dominant state owned firms. It also sort of like potentially crowds out private investment. The continuation of the sort of models of infrastructure development finance that have traditionally existed in Indonesia. Speaking about the government partnering with uh, private interests here, what are some of the regulations that might hinder Australian businesses wanting to invest in Indonesia at the moment? And are there any moves to, to change some of this? Yeah, I mean, I'll take the second part of that question first, if you, if that's all right with you. Um, I, I think there, there are some positive moves recently, uh, basically since President Widodo has, has taken office, and actually probably even more recently since he reshuffled his cabinet and brought uh, people like Tom Lembong, who's the trade minister, into the cabinet. So there's been a lot of effort since then to restart the Australia-Indonesia Comprehensive Economic Partnerships. They've had, I think they had the third round of negotiations in May, and they're planning more later on this year. That's a good sign. Uh, you know, I think a sort of free trade agreement, which is very much where the sort of discussion of these issues is uh, in Australia. Is. But um, that doesn't really get at a lot of the really big challenges for doing business in Indonesia, which are, which are things like uh, the wide variety of sort of non-tariff non barriers that are, that are employed. So there's issues with labeling and packaging and pre-export inspections and food and drug certifications and, and all sorts of things that make it very challenging to bring products into Indonesia uh, and, and sell them into Indonesia in terms of like stumbling blocks. To go to the first part of your question, rule of law is like probably the leading stumbling block 
There really isn't like a functioning rule of law in Indonesia. Uh, Most investors don't even bother really with the local courts. Uh, It's sort of humorous refrain, I would say, is that, you know, if you find yourself in court, you've already lost. And and this is this disadvantage is very pronounced for investors from jurisdictions like Australia, where there are robust provisions in place to um, prosecute companies for acts of uh, bribery and corruption that occur overseas. And so, part of the sort of lack of rule of law is that there's there's very sort of entrenched corruption, uh, and it's very very difficult to operate competitively uh, in an environment where your competitors or your business partners or your adversaries can sort of freely engage in corruption that has very serious legal consequences in your home jurisdiction. You know, a way around this, I would say, is to sort of provide for arbitration. There's offshore arbitration in places like Singapore, places like Hong Kong, or there's uh, Indonesian arbitration, an entity called Bani, which is a, a viable option. But, you know, it's very difficult to get awards enforced in Indonesia. Investors often do end up in court, despite their best efforts. Um, I would say sort of a subset of of rule of law issues is competition law, uh, which is also sort of applied with some or sort of almost like a a truculence. Um, And and, and again, this is sort of another way in which like the, the legal or the regulatory system can be like turned against a foreign investor. If rule of law is such a problem in Indonesia in doing business, um, how would you suggest to Australian businesses that they go about forming that people-to-people relationship where they've got a partner set up in Indonesia? Yeah, I think that you've hit upon a, a good point. I think local partners are, are very important for operating successfully uh, and investing successfully in Indonesia. I wouldn't sort of recommend to anyone, even, even in sectors that are from the rules open 100% to foreign investment. I sort of wouldn't recommend anyone except only the most experienced to try and go into Indonesia without a local partner, um, both because the sort of regulatory framework is is so complicated, but also because there are like local tastes and, and very effective, I would say, local approaches to branding and distribution um, that are very sort of unique to the market. One of the most important ways of doing that or potentially uh, attractive ways of doing that is to is to play off the sort of uh, Australian-Indonesia relationship. So many Indonesian business people have experience with Australia. Indeed, many have sort of studied in Australia or uh, they have family members who live in Australia or study in Australia. So to, to look for a sort of Australia-Indonesia connection uh, I think I think that's one way of going about it because then they're sort of uh, already a bit familiar with the market in Australia and with Australian culture and and uh, Australian business practice. Aside from the rule of law and competition law and finding a local partner, are there any other stumbling blocks that Australian businesses have in investing in Indonesia? Yeah, I think there's there's an issue with sort of regulatory complexity. This is something where progress is indeed being made and has been made uh, in the last year. President Widodo has made this a real priority. He's had sort of rolling economic uh, reform packages, as they've called them. But I think that there's not yet a sort of root and branch approach to reducing regulatory complexity in Indonesia. So uh, the changes that have been put in the last year have been sort of very piecemeal 
and uh, tinkering uh, a bit. So previously, giving an example, previously you may have needed 70 licenses to do something. And so now they've eliminated 20 licenses, but you still need 50 licenses. And even if, you know, the number of, of sort of approvals or permits that are needed have been reduced, if those permits are still sort of challenging to get, or if there are still uh, veto points or uh, opportunities for like discretionary decision making by civil servants that are that are sort of largely unaccountable to to investors, th th that's still really sort of a challenge. And I think more needs to be done. Um, there's been progress made on the negative investment list. So the there was a revision of the negative investment list just a few months ago, um, and it opened up actually uh, some sectors. So the negative investment list is revised about every two years, um, and it contains the limits on foreign direct investment by sector. So there's been you know moves to open up some support services in the health sector, so hospital management, laboratories, clinics. E-commerce was one of the big changes. It's gone from totally closed to foreign investment to 100% open to foreign investment cold storage, distribution, warehousing. So there's definitely sort of progress being made, even though I feel like it's sort of nibbling around the edges or it's not being made in a way that is like sustainable structural change. That's Matthew Bush, PhD candidate at Melbourne University, researching the political economy in Indonesia. I'm Jenny Henderson, Assistant Business and Economy Editor at The Conversation. Our theme music is by Ben Sound, and a reminder to leave Business Briefing a review on iTunes, where you can also subscribe to the podcast. 